Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, and those yet to make up their minds, this is the fifth instalment of what has been a rip-snorter of a ride so far. Okay, that's a lie, I just wanted to use the term rip-snorter. My name is Ray Tempester, Raymond to my mum, and I am your host. That's not a lie. Think of me as an uninvited tour guide to theatre shows in East Anglia that you're more than capable of researching yourself, probably. Or perhaps that bloke on the next table in the bar who offers his opinion whether it's wanted or not. Except with me, there's no creepy ulterior motives. For the most part, anyway. Now, without any thought having gone into it, the show has panned out very much in three sections. Section one is the part where I delude myself enough to think that you've any interest in what I've been up to theatre-wise recently. Section two is the main course, if you will. And if you hate the sound of my voice, I'd urge you to skip to that part, as it's an interview with a regional performer or creative or some other wanky term that my wife will cringe at when she hears me say it. And finally, if you've been a trooper and endured your way through to Section 3, you'll find a few shout-outs for upcoming shows in the region, plus a slightly bumbling, awkward goodbye from me, as I'm never quite sure what to say to wrap things up. But first, the socials. Look, I haven't got a website, OK, but I'm trying. And when I say I'm trying, I mean I've, I've written create website and a post-it note, but, you know, it's a start. And like all good millennials, I do have a Facebook and Twitter account. Like them, follow them, make inappropriate comments about them. I don't care. Just give me the undue attention that I crave, OK? Right, now that's taken care of. What have I been up to theatre-wise recently? Well, I've just arranged an audition for a play called The Welkin. At the time of writing this, I've just ordered a copy of it online and, and I've yet to give it a read. But it sounds a really interesting story. It's set in rural Suffolk in the 1700s and centres around a woman who is sentenced to hang for a murder. However, she claims to be pregnant, so a jury of 12 women are called to decide whether she's telling the truth. As the women are the focal point of the play, the male roles are only small, but that suits me after such an intense production of The Girl on the Train. I also went to see a performance. Now, in the course of producing this podcast, I'm aiming to review shows where possible. I'm unlikely to see a show every week or however frequently I put out these podcasts. But taking in as much theatre as I do, that the shows will always be of varying quality. However, I'm not looking to needlessly stick the boot in on shows that I didn't enjoy for whatever reason. Of course, I will endeavour to be as honest as possible, but I prefer to use this platform as a means of celebrating the good and highlighting the positives if I can. So why am I saying this? Well, I watched a play last week in a little Norfolk village called Old Buckingham. It was Agatha Christie's and then there were none, and it was produced by the Old Buckingham players. Now, I've been part of groups very similar to them in the past, and so I'm well aware of the limitations, shall we say, that they operate under. For instance, I was part of a group called Jubilee Players, who had some of the same issues that Old Buckingham players appear to have. For example, the size of the cast in the play um, meant there was a couple of older actors portraying characters that probably should have been cast much younger. Also, being based out on the sticks, as it were, they look as though they're struggling to attract new members. The problem with this is, with no real competition for parts, actors in groups such as this can take it for granted that they'll be cast whether they're right for the role or not. And even if they are good actors, this can still affect the quality as they're not pushed to improve. 
Now, I appreciate this is quite a long intro to the review when I haven't even yet told you anything about the performance, but I, I was just keen to ensure that you know a little bit about my background with groups similar to old Buckingham players so that my review isn't seen as um, patronising in any way. I'm not looking to make enemies and I'm keen to celebrate what's good about the things I've seen, but I will be critical sometimes too when I feel it's justified. So, after all that, let's get into it, shall we? Overall, the quality of acting was good, but it was marred somewhat by a couple of hammy performances. And this was frustrating as it, it could have easily been resolved by the director pulling those particular um, actors aside and letting them know that this was a murder mystery they were performing, not a farce or a panto, and that they didn't need to play up to the audience to try and score needless laughs. To my mind, it, it sort of cheapened it and it lost some of the tension that the script was trying to build. Speaking of tension being lost, there was also some unnecessarily long gaps between scenes and there's a reason I haven't called them scene changes, because the setting was the same throughout. I genuinely couldn't understand why there were such long gaps between scenes, when there was almost nothing in the way of costume changes either. This combined with the fact that there was two intervals, and quite ponderous dialogue between the actors, it only served to drain any of the tension and emotion that had been building. And I'm afraid after the second interval, you, you couldn't help watching the clock. That said though, there was some genuinely good performances. Now, I make no apologies for any spoilers here, as this isn't the mousetrap. Tom Key, as Philip Lombard, excellently maintained his character throughout and took the show by the scruff of the neck to heighten the drama in the third act as the walls closed in on those left standing. Paul Woodhouse, as Sir Lawrence Wargrave, offered a really commanding presence, particularly in the early stages, and then switched with ease to a more menacing stance in the latter stages. And... Jenny Reevey's experience on stage shone through in her performance as Emily Brent. She played a, a truly deplorable character, and, and it was to Jenny's credit that she made it look effortless. The set, too, was excellent, really well designed, and they'd clearly worked hard on making sure things such as um, doors being blown open by the wind that were perfectly in sync with the sound effects that accompanied them. It was also admirable that they weren't afraid to play around with the lighting. I know some directors probably would have shied away from having a quite so dimly lit stage, but actually what they managed to create really well was a, a feeling of claustrophobia. Now, I, I hope the group can attract some fresh blood because they appear to have an excellent setup with a, a really good team of, of volunteers behind them. And this is the kind of group that adds real value to its community by bringing a, a decent portion of the village together to put on shows in a venue of the kind that is largely ignored by smaller touring companies, which is a shame because how full the village hall was shows that there's a real appetite for it out there. But now for the main feature, and I'd like to introduce you to someone who I've admired from afar. No, hang on. No, that, that sounds quite creepy. Um, what I mean to say was I've, I've seen her in a, in a couple of performances in the past and admired her directing skills more recently. Her name is April Nash and she's currently directing Threshold Theatre's production of A Chorus Line. She's here with me now, so without further ado, which is a shame because I do so enjoy an ado, here is an interview with April Nash. Hi 
Hi, April. First of all, thanks for your time. Um, I know you've had a bit of downtime today, which is likely, I'd imagine, your last bit of time ahead of an intense period of a chorus line when it finally reaches the Playhouse stage. Now, the show's been in production for a few months now. Presumably, I mean, it's a bit of a stupid question, but I'd imagine you're, you're excited for audiences to finally see it now. Oh my! Oh my goodness! Yes. Um. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Uh. Yeah. So we've been sort of rehearsing since just before February. Um. And in the last sort of couple of weeks, we've been sort of doing preview runs for like people that couldn't make it on show week. Um. Which is really exciting because sort of we're getting a little bit of feedback already about how people are enjoying it, and also really useful for me, kind of getting that little sort of a bit of tweaking here and there so people are sort of getting the message I'm trying to get across but I'm really excited for people to see it next week I think it's going to be a really strong show I think it's going to be really exciting I think yeah it's just going to sort of bring threshold back with a bang really mm, I'm looking forward to it when it comes to a chorus line um what what struck me about it is that although it's um undoubtedly a, a really famous musical you know we're a host of awards to its name and um had a 15 year long run on Broadway which I think was a, a record at the time when it, it closed it's it's not a show that's necessarily in the public consciousness I guess um, particularly perhaps with younger audiences um, given there's not really been any high profile revivals of the show in recent years I, I guess sort of what I'm trying to say in, in a roundabout way is that it might be unfamiliar to some so um, could you perhaps explain the story yeah, um, so Chorus Line is a sort of behind-the-curtains look at performers who are auditioning for a, well, it's an unnamed Broadway show, basically. Um, and it's no typical audition because the director, Zach, wants to get to know the people he's hiring first. So he gets them all his applicants on a line on the stage and they have to tell him things about themselves, they have to open up, they have to sort of relay sort of vulnerabilities they have and... It's the idea is it's kind of an in-depth look at sort of the actors and the dancers and the singers who are auditioning for these shows. So it's not just a chorus, it's the people behind it. Mm -hmm. I, I make no apologies for the really obvious question, but I'm just not that original, I'm afraid. So how are the rehearsals going? You know, or what what has the process been like? Oh, it's been good. Um it's I mean, we're we're drilling our past really hard, but they're all basically I've got a very dedicated podcast of perfectionists. So, you know, there's been a lot of dancing, a lot of running like running routines again and again and again. And um they're doing such a good job in terms of, you know, their focus and commitment. So they've made it, I mean, relatively easy for me because they're all so willing, which is lovely. Mm. I, I have to admit, I've, I've been looking on at the pictures on, on social media with a bit of envy, actually, because um, I, I did actually have the opportunity to be involved in it. Um, oh uh, Michelle got in touch with me um, a couple of months ago. I think it might have been for the part of Zach, I believe, yeah. in it. And um, it, it just unfortunately clashed with the show that I was in. I did say to I'd have been rubbish anyway. I'm a terrible, terrible dancer. Um, <laughs> And she insists she's seen me on the dance floor and, and says otherwise, but it, it really isn't true. Now, one of the, the one of the necessary evils of, of directing is is obviously knowing the show and, and the, the script inside out. But has there been any moments um, that have taken you by surprise when when it's been brought to life by the cast in this? Ooh. Oh, that's a really good question. So for me, I know the show really well. Um, mm -hmm. 
And actually, I think it's tiny little moments of like uh, sort of character engagement with each other. So there's a couple of girls that line up onto the stage, like they go onto their line and they look at each other and there's just this like little smile of, oh, I made it. it. It's those tiny little interactions that the actors are adding that really like speak to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the, in the finale as well, um, you know, I'm not going to spoil it by saying who gets in the production, but they're the actors' reactions to being cast, let's say, in some known production. Uh, just, I don't know, there's something about it. I think as I relate so hard to it, so I've been a performer myself. Yeah, there's something about that that really gets me. Yeah. Um, and, and this this isn't your first time directing a show, but I gather it's the first time you directed a musical. Um, so h- how does it compare to your previous experiences? Okay, um, so I directed my first play just before COVID happened, um, which was a Alan Akeborn farce called Taking Steps with sh- like Seasods, which is Kramer and Sharon operatic. Um, and that was like my baby. It was like a really small cast, really tight production team but I didn't have assistant director I didn't have you know um it was like my vision from start to end chorus line being the musical it is and famously being a dance musical um I've had to like work with other people more about sort of relaying my ideas and thoughts and what I want and delegating and trusting their expertise Mm -hmm. so in terms of this piece is much more collaborative in terms of the people behind it so I think those are the main, that's the main two differences really, but everyone's been fab. Like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for a more talented team behind the scenes as well. Now that you've dipped your toes in the, well, I wouldn't say dipped your toes in the water. I'd say more sort of um, jumped in with both feet in in terms of acting and directing waters. Um, have you yet formed an opinion about which you prefer between acting and directing? Oh, I think they're two different beasts. So I love I love both. Um, performing was like my first real love, probably always will be. Um, but there's something about directing and being able to convey what you're trying to get across to an audience, which is really quite cool. Um, yeah, they're, they're different. Um, but somebody once said to me, and I love this, a uh, director I worked with said, um, to be a director, you have to be able to play all the parts in the show because you have to be able to get other people to do that. And that really resonated. So I think I'm definitely like an actor's director because of that previous experience. I do want to come back to what you mentioned about um, taking steps because I, I think I mentioned oh. to you that I, I have a personal history of that show. And, and this is this is complimentary towards you because I, I, I went to come and see your show in, it was at Sheringham Little Theatre. This was just, just prior to the pandemic hitting in 2020. And I'd, I'd done that show maybe two or three years prior to that at the Madden Market. I was reasonably satisfied with how our show went, but when I saw your production, it just it just stirred up this horrible feelings of jealousy about how much oh. better your perform your your production was than ours. It was it was a sort of um, <laughs> thank you. It, it was from our point of view, it, it just felt as I say, I didn't come out of our production with any regret at the time, but now looking back, it was it feels like a missed opportunity about just how much additional humour you kind of injected into it, which oh, thank you. you're welcome. It, it absolutely does fall at the it <laughs> emphasise to me how a good director can can bring the best out of a production because I mean I'm not sure who I'm offending here um, because I can't remember the name <laughs> of our director. But our director was very much a sort of old school village hall um, director where it's just 
the first and last priority is blocking. And there was very little in the way of direction other than where to stand, <laughs> where to where to exit. Yeah. Um, your production was exceptional. Thank you so much. Uh, no, I, I can talk I could talk your ears off about taking steps. It's one of my favorite plays. Um and to be honest, I think the book itself is good. Like I think you could just put a standard production of it anyway, and it's it's a solid farce of a script. Um but I've known that since I was I've read the script since I was about 15 because my dad did it. He was uh, Tristan. Um and I don't know, when I read it, I see so many more opportunities within just the script for humour. Um, and I'm not the only person that said when you read it, it's quite bland on the page. I took every opportunity to be like, oh, this is a funny interaction we'll add in here. And how about this thing? Or oh, this is ridiculous. So we'll just oomph that bit up. Yeah, I I could just see it in my mind about how it should be done. It, it, it was the um, additional physicality that... Um that really yeah. sort of struck a chord with me because, it, it, as I say, it felt like a missed opportunity when we did it because we did it at the Madden Market, which is probably it almost is a better space than than you had to perform it in, especially with the, the split <laughs> potentially the split levels and Sheringham's quite a yeah. tight stage as well. Uh, so it was I, very it, small, yeah. It, I was just so impressed with with how you managed it. No, my cast as well. They were so willing to, you know. We started off in rehearsals. I was like, "Give me more, please." Just you know, they were they were really willing and um we sort of I mean, you know, I asked them what I wanted and then they I kept pushing and pushing them. So they're really the ones that delivered a lot of that physicality for me. We just kept going. It was great. They were very good. And, and just in, in terms of going back to a chorus line, obviously that's of course, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, but you go back to that one. That's more topical. Also yeah. so that I don't have to be bitter anymore. <laughs> How, how did you get involved in the in the directing side of that production? Because it is obviously very different. Oh, yeah. Um, so Threshold Theatre Company, the company that I'm doing Chorus Line with, is the theatre company that I first joined when I moved back to Norwich after university. Mm-hmm. So I'm <laughs> I'm an old I'm like a long term member from about like I'm gonna say maybe going on ten years now. And I've I've been in a lot of shows with them, a lot. I've been on the committee and I've done backstage and I've done basically a lot of roles. And when they said they were going to do a chorus line, they put an ad, they put a call out for directors and I was just like, put my hat in the ring, sent them in, well, I think I sent them about three emails about what I was planning to do with it. Because um, <laughs> it was like, oh, these are my ideas. And then another email going, oh, and I've had some more thoughts. You know, I was just very keen. Was it a show that you were familiar with beforehand? Yeah. Yeah, so I I first knew of Chorus Line when I was about 16, 17. I watched the film. So I, oh, I right, was okay. introduced to Chorus Line through the movie. Um, and I've seen the stage production done by amateurs a couple of times, but I've never seen it professionally done. Um, so I was aware of the show and I loved it, but I myself am not a dancer, so I will never, ever be able to be in it because <laughs> it's just beyond my capabilities. Um, and I love it. I think it's so... Um, you can just relate to it so much. So, yeah, when I got the opportunity to apply and I talked their ear off about what I wanted to do with it and they offered it to me, I was thrilled. So, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, going step by step really in terms of like performing and directing and then moving on to a musical and and musicals are like my real love so I'm really pleased to be actually directing one now I guess the inevitable promo question really why should people come and see it 
Oh, um, so number one, if if you don't know anything about the show, come and see it for the talent alone. My cast are amazing. Um, like I've got a real mixed variety of people that are just dancing and acting and singing their socks off, which are like the great components of any musical. Um, Number two, I think if you have performed at all ever and you've ever auditioned for anything, you'll be able to relate to it. Um, I think it speaks to performers in a real sort of, realist, not realistic way, but a real sort of um, tangible way. You know, you can, you can see these, you can see yourself in any of these characters on the stage, really. Um, and it, I think as well, I think some of the performances and the writing is excellent. So even if you're not a performer, I think you know, there's something in it that I think you'll go away sort of remembering. Maybe maybe tapping your toe to a couple of tunes as well. Right, now that's, <laughs> the, uh, that's the, the obligatory promo stuff taken care of. Now let's move on to your own experiences in the theatre um, outside of a chorus line. Do you, do you remember the first show that you attended? Yeah, so I was about six and my friend's mum took me to see Greece in London as part of like her daughter's birthday present. And I don't remember much of the story, but I remember the car, the dancing and the lights and just like being stood up in the aisle, like eyes glued to the stage. Um, and apparently this friend's mum said that it was worth taking me just alone for how mesmerised I was, which is really cute. But yeah, I was hooked. Was that almost the moment where you can sort of pinpoint and say that that's, yeah. that's where it all began for you? Yeah, definitely. Just, yeah. just seeing live performers on stage and music and everything it's amazing so after that when did your first foray into actually being involved in theatre come along I think I was about nine I did like ballet and tap and stuff from being a little kid but um not very well (laughs) I'm definitely more of a singer and actor um when I was about nine I auditioned for Dear Amuse Theatre Company and I was in a production of Scrooge the Musical and I was Martha Cratchit that was I don't remember much about the production, but I did hit my head on the table that I had to climb under. So that's sort of like what I remember of it. Uh, I did quite a few shows with Dear Muth, actually. So they were sort of the, that's who I started with. Okay. And just moving on to other experiences in the theatre, in terms of recently, uh, obviously a chorus line is, is all consuming, but have you had a chance to watch any, any theatre lately? Lately, um, I'm going to go and see Shrek's dress rehearsal on Friday this week, which would be really good. Uh, I went to see Adam's family a few weeks ago, which I have thoughts on, which is great. Um, <laughs> I really liked the show; like the production was amazing. But I think the book isn't as good as the show could be. Like, um, but yeah, I saw the Adam's family. Um, what else have I seen? I've seen a few bits. See a lot of like amateur theatre in the in the scene. Um, like to support friends. Now, I mentioned in a previous interview about an apocalyptic scenario where there was just enough time to produce one more show before the world ends. Now, I'm not going to put you in that scenario this time because... Um, oh, good. Well, I, I just afterwards I thought, well, can you imagine how tense those those rehearsals would be leading up to the, the final days <laughs> on Earth? But we will delve into the fantasy world and um, only really to ask what what would constitute a dream role or or show or, you know, for you to be involved in. Okay, Um, I've got two 
but basically for the same reasons. So I've been really lucky and I've played a lot of like bucket list characters. Um, so then the two that I would love to do that I don't think I'll get a chance to do is Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl and Dot in Sunday in the Park with George. Two shows that famously don't tend to get big audiences, so people don't take a risk on them. Um, but I saw Natasha Barnes and the tour of Funny Girl, and I cried my eyes out. I've never related more to a character. Like, it's funny, it's heartbreaking, the acting's brilliant, songs are really good, just, yeah, little part. Very, very different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's certainly not obvious choices anyway, which is what, what I like. No. And now, as I mentioned, the chorus line has probably been all-consuming, really. And I'm, I'm sure you probably haven't had time to consider it yet. But do you have any idea about what might be next for you, theatre-wise? So um, some friends and I are currently working on a brand new musical. Well, actually, we're working on two. But in July and August, we're going to start workshopping and auditioning for... It's called Yippie but it's the... Basically, it's a Die Hard musical, like a parody of Die Hard okay. as a Christmas special. Um, so I'm working with a really talented composer... Um, my musical director from a chorus line is working on it with me as well. So we're just sort of getting that ready in terms of, you know, pro- workshopping that and we'll be producing that hopefully in January next year, which is very exciting. Well, I think that just about wraps things up. Thank you for your time, April. So there we have it. That was April Nash. If you like the cut of her jib and you want to judge her work for yourself, make sure you visit the Playhouse in Norwich between the 31st of May and the 4th of June to watch A Chorus Line. Of course, April was always going to be complimentary of the production, but I can also vouch for a significant number of the cast and crew, having worked with many of them before, so why not treat yourself to a high-quality show? If you pop along on the Saturday evening, you might even bump into me. Now, wouldn't that be a treat, eh? Eh? Now, what else is coming up in the region in the next week or two? Well, staying in Norwich, there's a production of a play called Orca by Matt Grinter, which is on at the Silbarn Theatre from the 2nd to the 4th of June, and then again between the 8th and the 11th of June. It's a dark, unnerving show, which someone jokingly likened as a cross between Jaws and The Wicker Man, but I've interviewed the show's director, Sabrina Poole, to ask all about it, and that'll be featured on next week's podcast. Over in Cambridge, the Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust Charity Panto begins on the 7th of June and it's on until the 11th. It's called Beauty in the Yeast and it's a modern twist on, well, you can guess on which tale. It's on at the Mumford Theatre at the Anglia Ruskin University. Remaining in Cambridge and you can watch a new play called The Lights Over Tesco Car Park at Covent Garden Drama Studio. It's produced by Jack Bradfield and Poltergeist Theatre and it's described as an exploration into the final frontier, packed with wacky articles, strange stories and plenty of flying sources and they also ask the ultimate question, are we alone in the universe? And finally, in Suffolk, the Co-op Juniors Theatre Company are performing a special production of Disney's The Little Mermaid Junior. It's a shorter length version of the show featuring their younger cast and it's on twice on the 12th of June at the wonderful Seckford Theatre in Woodbridge. And that, my friends, is that. Episode 5 is done. Well, not quite. I do have to tell you to follow the East Anglian Theatre podcast on Facebook and Twitter to enhance your life and mine. Oh, I also have to tell you that next week's episode will feature an interview with the lovely Sabrina Poole. 
Oh yeah, 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 of course, and and not forgetting my bumbling goodbye. So yeah, that's it for another week. Um, take care of yourselves, and um, we'll go watch some theatre, like I always say. Bye.